It's June the 16th. I'd like you to think about what June the 16th means to you. And then I'd like you now just to close your eyes for a moment. And let me ask you what you feel when you think of June the 16th. And if you're struggling with that, as most of us do, visualize the picture of Hector Peterson in your, in your mind. We all know that picture. And now say, what am I feeling? I want to share a little journey with you. Professor Noakes referred to the privileged education. I too was unfortunate enough to have a privileged education. Because if you call privilege being separated from half of the society in which I lived, then I reject your notion of privilege. If you call privilege inheriting a British colonial system that every time as a child I said, I'm feeling angry, somebody said, well, think about it. You shouldn't feel angry. And every time I had a feeling that was strong, I was asked to think about it. I grew up in a privileged education system that taught me that cognitive functioning trumps any other mode of operation. And yet, as a child, I was growing up with feelings. Earlier, Eugene Daniels said, are you going to sing? And the only song I could come up with was feelings, nothing more than feelings. <laughs> but being a tight white O, I struggle with that. <laughs> but just go back in your own mind and your own feelings to that period of your own education. The other thing the British taught me through their wonderful system of education, which we've adopted, is that manners are more important than honesty. I must be polite at the expense of honesty. Now, I'm sitting in 2012, and I'm critical of leaders for their directness, and I long for a bit of the politeness, because it makes me feel a bit more comfortable. So this unlearning journey for me, I'd like to share with you. As an ambitious, conscientized, privileged white South African, committed to becoming a teacher from as young as I can remember, the other thing that stayed with me in my colonial education was that I can make the difference. We still use that and that the, the other people were the ones that needed to change, and the other people were the ones that needed to benefit from my rich experience. And I don't know, I'm sure that there may be some white people in the audience with me who have a similar experience, that when there's a problem, you usually know the answer before the rest, even if it's wrong. <laughs> and if you're like me, you're ready to share it, even before it's tested. That's the product of my conditioning. So when I first became a sports coach with a good friend of Dr. Noakes, Bob Woolmer, in the township of Langa, I was ready 
to use sport as my transforming tool for young people to become liberated in the community of Langa. And I taught people how to play the forward defensive. And I taught people how to delicately nudge the ball to fine leg. And I taught people to get their arms up straight. And we had this dream team in 1990. Every one of the 11 players had played provincial school sport. And they were my dream team. I have a photograph in my office to remind me of my folly. And when I started to go to the funerals of my dream team, and there were three of them in quick succession, and the one young man had died driving drunk, and the cricket bats were on his coffin, I had to look at that and say, what did I teach this young man? What were the conversations that I thought were important? And what were the conversations that were really important? I taught him how to hold back the impulse to hook and pull while I didn't talk about the impulse related to alcohol. In fact, I had a beer with him and walked away while he got himself blind drunk. Of that dream team, three have died. Three are dying, HIV positive, and in serious situations. And three are alcoholics. Now when I go back in my life to that joyous period of anticipation that this new world was going to open up possibilities for twinning, for engaging, for stepping across the boundaries, and I took those steps. I just didn't realize I had no understanding at that stage of the complexity of education. I was at Pinelands High School. We were welcoming the idea that we would simply twin with schools in Langa and we would bust children in and we would focus on maths and science and we'd focus on English and there would be, trans there would be complete transformation. In another phase of my teaching, I became a counsellor. It was a natural drift in my life, even though I hadn't been trained in, in, in that particular direction. And young children from all walks of life would come into my office and I would refer them very quickly because I could realize they needed a referral. So I would send somebody off to see a, a psychologist or send somebody off to Kenilworth Clinic. It was my favorite one. And especially if they were addicts. And I, I really tried to understand what was driving their addiction and I didn't stand outside of it. I worked hard to get inside of it. And when a young man returned to the school that I was principal of, having been in the Kenilworth Clinic for three weeks, six weeks, he said to me, why did I have to overdose on heroin before anybody would have a serious conversation with me? And I said to him, but my office door is always open to you, because I've always had an open door policy in my office. And you've always been welcome to come in here. And I've always been willing to talk with you. And he said, but you've always at the end told me what I should feel. I didn't think I was doing that. And he dissected it for me. He said, you sit, 40-minute lesson, 
you listen to me well for 20, then you start to turn it around. And by the time you get to the 35th minute, you want a particular outcome. And you head me off in that direction. The next time I come in, I have to tell you that I followed your advice. And when I got to the Kenilworth Clinic, all they did was listen to me. And my peers helped me by telling me what they felt. And I could identify with them. So as I started to read about this, I realized that my own education, I was one of those Ken Robinson people where the body is just supporting the head. And I was teaching that. And that in reality, when we look at the ugly picture of our country, and we know that three out of four homes, children experience directly scenes of domestic violence. One out of three young people in this country, girls, falls pregnant by the age of 20. 50% of all those girls who fall pregnant by the age of 20 are HIV positive. What on earth are we doing making maths and science a priority? When we sit with the real crisis, we have spent billions in this country on HIV and AIDS education. We are part of that spend. Has it shifted the behavior? Sadly, we have to say very little. And is that because the billions we've spent has been aimed neck up? And we've neglected to understand that the key issue is impulsivity. Do we teach anything about impulse control? Do we know how to? Do we understand the dialectic of our lives? the tension between what we know and think and what we feel and what drives us. If we do understand that, maybe we can get the, the two to overlap at some point and discover the wisdom of the rational mind and the intuitive mind overlapping to create the wise mind. How much of our teaching time, how much of our learning time is built around activating the emotional immune system. How much of the time we spend in classes is, uh, is allowing children to express their feelings, thereby to own them, firstly to, first, firstly to identify them. It's very sad in the context in which I work that you have a 14-year-old who, when asked, what are you feeling, says, what do you mean? And that's not an uncommon story. And, and when a 16-year-old who's been in our schools for a couple of years says, until I came here, I didn't understand what feelings meant. And when you live in a world where the role models are drunk, the disconnect between feelings and action and life is so great that the only visible modeling are the extremes. Extreme anger and extreme joy. There are no nuances, no subtleties. And yet, we continue to prioritize cognitive learning as the, as the way to the future. Whether we create pathological engineers, it's not our thing. That's somebody else's fault. We got them to the engineering. The funders, Look to us and say, 
maths and science. I've never had a funder saying, will you produce good fathers and mothers one day? Why not? That's the national crisis. The disintegration of our families. Not putting blame anywhere, just declaring it as it is. So we've embarked on a strategy to actually integrate the intuitive mind with the rational mind. I was pushed by Eugene to see if I could get the drum beating. <laughs> I said I'd see if I had a go. And I ask you just to take that away, and in all that is said today, to just push hard to the core. The core is where we live. Thank you.